0: Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. What is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader looking to escape the old routine. A leader who never, ever gives up. Today, I interview Franklin Day. Like Franklin, I bet you can relate to being exhausted at times as a leader. We have a strong why that drives our work and helps us move forward. It's like a beating drum. The why is consistent. It's always there. It's beating. The why, in some sense, is the heart of the organization. You, ruckus maker, are the heart of the organization. But how about when the organization and its different parts and people aren't responding like we'd want? Maybe they reject the why. Maybe change is just happening too slow. As leaders, we can get exhausted beating the drum consistently, and that's just considering school. What about our children? What about our family life? What about our personal life? You'll love this episode because we discuss how Franklin deals with being resilient and dealing with exhaustion. Franklin is also a guru when it comes to special education. So if you need to level up your SPED knowledge, this show is for you. And finally, Franklin, I am lucky enough to call a friend. We've worked together for over a year in the mastermind, and we touch on this experience near the end of the episode. So ruckus maker... Thanks for being here, and before we jump into the episode, let's take some time to thank our show sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, a program designed to develop your student's executive function and non-cognitive skills. Learn more at at organizedbinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX, who believes that the more students talk and are engaged in class, the more they succeed in school. Learn more at teachfx.com. All right, we're joined again by Kelly Crane, expert coach at Better Leaders, Better Schools with today's tip of the week for ruckus makers. What do you have for us today, Kelly?
1: Today, Danny, we're going to talk about meditating. And I think it is very important that everybody takes the time to take care of themselves, take a few minutes and find time to just really reflect. You need to meditate and just live mindfully. So the tip is called Headspace. And it is for you to get started and really take care of yourself. There's hundreds of themes and sessions, everything from stress to sleep, to focus anxiety and there's like some bite-sized um, guided meditation uh, sessions for busy schedules so that's really cool for those of you which is all of you that have a busy schedule and so you know you can turn that on and it kind of guides you through the meditation process if you have not done it before and it will show it's proven that it will reduce your daily stress so it'll help you stay focused and you will be feeling Great after you meditate, but you have to keep with it, and it is self-discipline. So, Headspace, I use it every day, and it is awesome.
0: I use it as well, so I could uh, vouch for Headspace Ruckus Makers. I actually have the uh, the paid version, but there's free as well. I think there's some meditative or I don't know guided meditations for kids in there. There's unguided as well. It's just it's it's a really great app. Uh, I also use the Waking Up app and then one called Oak. So. You could say that I I try to be mindful quite a bit. So I really appreciate you sharing this. And in addition to it decreasing my stress, Kelly, I've found that it helps me focus a lot more. And prior to meditating, I think that I was a lot more distracted when I worked. And now I could really zone in and focus on the one thing and make sure that I, I keep it the main thing as well. So there is free, there is paid. Where can people get this app?
1: So you can just go to the app store and just uh, type in Headspace and download it there. It is, you know, there are different packages and plans that you can purchase. The most popular is $7.99 a month. So it is a great tool and it does cause you to slow down and just sit and, you know, meditate for a while. And if you've never done that and try to get all the things out of your mind, you need to do that because it is, you have to learn how to do it. It's not easy.
0: Definitely. And I'll say this too, for those of you that are starting out with meditation, you're going to have to reset many, many times, and that's normal. That's a part of the process. Thanks, Kelly, for sharing this tip of the week with the Ruckus Makers. And now on to our leadership conversation with the mastermind, the No Pockets Group, very own Franklin Day. Hey, Ruckus Maker, Daniel here from Better Leaders. I'm joined with my friend, Franklin Day. Uh, He is amazing. You're in for a treat during this conversation. He's the Associate Director of Special Education in Spokane Public Schools with responsibility for legal issues, compliance, and supervision of related services and providers. He has worked in mental health, early intervention, public and private preschool, public and charter schools, and in higher education systems as an ABA therapist, a school psychologist, and a school district administrator. Welcome to
2: the show, Franklin. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here, and I'm excited for the conversation we're going to have today.
0: Well, I appreciate you scheduling this, and we're going to start off with a bang. You know, ah, uh, we were talking in the pre-chat. I could see it a bit on your face, and, and something I've admired about you for a long time now. Uh, we've known each other for just about a year. Uh, I see how committed you are to the work. Into what you believe your mission is. And so, you know, maybe it's the ultra marathoner in you that you just, you keep at it, you know, you're resilient, you don't give up, Uh, but the words you use is that you're constantly beating the drum, right? For that mission, but it could be exhausting beating that drum, especially if you don't see the impact, uh, maybe as fast as you want, or people go in different directions, whatever that may be. So, frankly, can you talk a bit about what it's like? How do you dig deep, you know, first to have that resiliency? And then what do you do, right,
2: when it gets exhausting? So I am, as you mentioned, a runner. And I actually run every day. My day starts out with a run. That's my centering, grounding force. And the work that I do is in that realm of special education. I am always fighting for change, to improve our programs, to improve the services for students. And it is really perseverance. It's that same message over and over. I don't believe anybody ever really hears the message until we've said it at least five to seven times. And that language has to be the same every time in order for people to understand what we're talking about. And to get that concept and that application into mind so that they're ready to move forward. When it comes to change, change is hard. Adults have difficulty with change, children have difficulty with change, and the more that we can prepare them ahead of time and build the consensus around that change so that they are ready for change, that will pay millions of dividends in the long run. As you but it, that's the hard part is as you are building up that That reservoir of support for change. You're also having that same conversation over and over and over. In my system, I am having that those conversations about change with 300 teachers and with 25 school psychologists, and they're all in varied various levels and various um, understandings because they are spanning 40 years of instructional time, 40 years of career. And they are, have all have different levels of of instructional knowledge and instructional experience. And so the conversation is the same conversation, but it varies every single time. And it truly does. I wouldn't, I'm never going to say it gets tiresome, but it does get tiring. And I just have to always come back to we're here to improve program and improve instruction for students. And that's the, that's the why. And when I come back to that why, that keeps me going. But it, it, there is that perseverance and that need to never give up. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a beautiful way to describe you know, support as well. You said a reservoir of support, which to me indicates, you know, it's not, one, you can't just go, it's not like a commodity. You can go and buy it, you know, get it off the shelf. It's something that you add to over time. And it builds, right, as it, as it collects. Maybe part of it is the beating of the drum. And you said, you know, five to seven times with the message, uh, you're sharing that message out in different ways. But can we dig a bit into what it looks like when Franklin is building the reservoir of support?
2: So I always start with that personal interaction. I'm a person that, although by nature of the role or by nature of the work, I should say, I spend a lot of time in an office collecting data, rolling through data, but I always want to have conversations person to person. And I, just by my own personality, I would much rather spend the 10 minutes to drive to a school or 20 to drive to a school to talk to somebody in person rather than talking over the phone. I think they get much more out of the conversation, and I know I do. I can have that conversation in person. And they can see my body language. I can read their, sometimes read their body language. And, uh, but we bet we both get a much more meaningful conversation when we can actually have that personal interaction. Mm -hmm. And before I ever have attempted to make change or before I ever try to to start building that momentum for change, I have to have that personal relationship with individual staff. And I'm just going to be honest, in our system, that's hard. We hire, in a typical year, and this year is going to be a little bit different, we hire about 30 new special education teachers every year. And so that, from a numbers standpoint, that's about a 10% turnover. So I have to build that relationship up with 10% of our teachers every single year. And that truly stifles that change initiative and, cha- and that opportunity for growth.
0: Would you say the, the personal relationship piece, is that natural?
2: Is it uh, something you have to learn? How do you approach it? Because for some people, it is very natural to build that personal relationship. I was yeah. talking with a friend just yesterday that is a natural connector, and and you are also. You reach out and and you build those connections and you bring people together as a connector. That isn't necessarily my personal uh, proclivity. I w- have always considered myself to be shy. I am very much an introvert, and I can. That's one of the reasons that I do so much better in that one-on-one connection where and I do, I guess I should say, I do better in one-on-one or large group where I can kind of hide. And, but the only way to build that connection is to be intentional, to Mm -hmm. actually reach out and connect to those people personally and independently. And it does take some learning. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I don't know if you know this about me. I don't know if the listeners, if I've mentioned this before, but I consider myself a recovering introvert, right? I'm, I'm actually really shy. Like, I'm actually really shy, which you don't see in the Mastermind or on the podcast. You don't necessarily see that if you come see me speak, right? I'll be at the, the principal's conference um, this summer in Boston. I show up, right? But I need to show up in those moments. And the funniest thing, like for me, recovering introvert, I started a podcast. That's how I got out of it. Like, we couldn't have this conversation, Franklin, three to four years ago. That's before, you know, the show started in 2015. And it was really hard for me to talk to people uh, that I didn't know well. Now I know you, so I'd be comfortable with that. But now it's gotten a lot easier. So that's something that I did for myself. That You know, maybe not everybody starts a podcast to break out of the <laughs> introversion and the shyness. But I bet there's a lot of shy listeners right now, right? Yes, absolutely. That one, yeah, yeah. So what is what does she do if she wants to build those relationships, but not willing to start a podcast like
2: me? (laughs) You know, what have you done? What's worked? Yeah. So really, it is it's building those those micro habits to connect with people on a regular basis. And I have I do really well with people that I know, but I have to force myself to into those social situations of. We get together twice a month as a leadership group. There's 100 leaders sitting in an in instructional space. And I truly have to force myself to go out and talk to those, those new principles that I don't know. And it always, has, it always pays off. There's never a time when I, I extend myself when it doesn't have payback that's beneficial. Can you take me to a payback?
0: When you've seen oh all right I didn't feel like it, but I showed up, I knew it would be good,
2: and the yeah, there was a payoff for you, so the most recent one was I'm working with the principal, uh, we share a staff member who is a who is struggling, and I for the first two meetings in January I, I wouldn't say I was avoiding her, but I wasn't reaching out to her to connect when we were in the same room together uh, first meeting in February just intentionally forced myself to walk up and say, hey, how's it going? How's it going with this staff member that we share? And she said, it's actually pretty horrible. We need to work together in order to to make some success for that staff member so that he is successful, but also so that our students are getting the service that they deserve. And the conversation moved to how, as opposed to just what. It moved beyond the the failure to the the need for support, the need to make progress. Uh, then I followed up with that meeting with the staff member, and I was just very honest with him. and the payback was I then had uh, had six conversations with that principal since then where it's a it's not somebody who's new, scary, different. it is she's a colleague, and we're now working together. And it's a much more comfortable circumstance and a much more comfortable conversation and interaction every time we talk now.
0: Awesome. Well, I'd love to shift gears a bit. I know you uh, are our guru, a big time expert in the special ed realm. And we were discussing in the pre-chat how that could be such a pain point for many school leaders. And they have this pressure to raise a bar, but also uh, struggle with students and figuring out if they're eligible or not for special ed services. So Franklin, are we over-identifying special ed students? And if
2: so, what are those repercussions? And I'm going to speak personally. I, I believe in, in our school district that we are over-identifying students in special education. I know that nationally, the percentage of students in special education is increasing. And what is the impact of that? Truly, that is that we are not meeting the needs of, tr- of students with true disabilities, because we're trying to serve everybody. And by expanding that service model to hit everybody, we're, we are serving every serving the students with disabilities at a lower level. And we're really, truly not meeting the needs in the long run. We have an opportunity, there's many opportunities to expand that pre-referral and that to meet students' needs in another way that isn't special education. we In my school district, we have what's called multi-tiered systems of support and we support those students through a very variety of means prior to the access of or the need for special education services. And truly in an ideal world, that would be reducing the need for special education if that those supports are implemented with fidelity and intentionality. What I see in in my time in our system is we've actually, our special education population has grown by more than a thousand students since I started in our school district. And that tells me two things. One is that the special education services are being dispersed to more students. And as we all know, there's not generally not Massive increases in funding with increases in students, which means that we're trying to serve the, a, a greater population with the same resources that we had in the past and our it also means that our pre-referral system is not' is not filtering out those students that just need help from the students that have disabilities and, and I often hear from teachers and principals well they need help, but everybody needs help in some way, and the more we focus on help, the less we focus on need, I think. So
0: the more we focus on help, the less we, we focus on need. Can you say some more about that? Is it, is it that uh, the school leaders just pulled to want to meet the needs of all, all kids and then they're missing the need of their kids that, that need the interventions the most, you know, to support them? Um, I'm not, I'm not making any sense with what I'm trying to say. Can you help us? I, I
2: really was drawn I think it's actually two parts. I think one yeah. is that we're, we are trying to meet the needs of everybody. Right. And, and special education is the route that we see to meet those needs. And so we are, I'm going to say, funneling more students into special education because it's the, in quotes, only game in town. It's the only supports that exist that we know that will work. And the other is, what I see a lot, is the concept of help. And so a student is, in, in our state, 10th grade is the year that students take the ESSA assessments. So we, we use the SBAC in our state. And we see a, an, a massive increase in referrals in 10th grade because of the fear that those students aren't going to meet standard And meet graduation requirements. Mm -hmm. So we're identifying them as 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 a tenth grader, as a student with a disability, and it seems like the primary reason for that is because they need help to pass that state test. Mm -hmm. And the concept of disability is it's a lifelong condition that exists in multiple settings. And if that's the case, I find it hard often, not in, in not every circumstance, but sometimes I do find it hard to believe that a student has gone through 10 years of education and that I, that disability has never been con, a concern until it comes time to meet that test for graduation.
0: It's funny, you know, I didn't think that we'd be talking about tests, but how that could be a catalyst for this over-identification. Because now it's about, you know, how do we look to our community, to the newspapers, to the politicians, Uh, to some extent. And it's not that, yeah, the students need this need, they they need this support. It's that we need to look good.
2: We need our kids to graduate or pass the test. And there is is pressure from ESSA around graduation rates. And -hmm. in order to meet those graduation rates, students have to pass tests and they all filter into a push toward what can be a not so positive long-term outcome. Because right now... If a student's eligible for special education, they, they have a disability that needs support and requires specially designed instruction. And, but they're also, on the backside, after that graduation time, there is the, the, what I consider, at least in some ways, a negative outcome of they are excluded from accessing the military at this point in time. Hmm. There's other negative outcomes from that. And for a student with a disability, those may not be negative outcomes. But ultimately, we, the experience of education should be positive pushing forward and growth for students. And that, that need for special education should be a lifting support to enhance that education and that positive outcome. It shouldn't be just to meet a need, that, meet a short-term need for a graduation requirement or something like that.
0: I think this also brings up a bit how we mix things up in terms of what's more important, supporting the student or supporting the adult? And I don't know that they have to be at odds, but I know you have some ideas around that. So how would you address it? Are we supporting
2: students or supporting adults? So I'm going to speak philosophically for a second. The research shows that the best outcomes for students with disabilities is if they spend the majority of their time or the maximum amount of time in the general education setting. And that's true for making progress. And I would never suggest that the least restrictive environment for any student with a disability is 100% of their day in the general education setting because that is determined by the needs of the student and the supports that they require to make, make progress. But I do know that the student's individual needs should be driving the services that they receive. And we should be trying to keep them in that gen ed setting as much as possible, as much of the day as possible. And what I see a lot in schools in in the United States is that we focus on the structures and schedules that support teachers rather than focusing on the needs of students and the progress that those students can make. And so we we utilize what are frequently called pull-out programs, where a student is pulled out of math so that they can go to another setting and get different instruction in math, because it's easier to schedule that teacher into a classroom with 10 students than it is to have that teacher go into the classroom, into the general education setting, and support those students in the gen ed setting. And modify the curriculum, or even work with that teacher and have the teacher do provide some direct instruction to the student that's modified and follow up with support in some other way. We're, we're building stru- we have built over the years structures that create a separation from students from instruction so that they get a different kind of instruction. And some students need that for sure. But there's also a, a vast majority of our students And some data says up to 70% of our students have uh, what are considered to be low-impact disabilities that could be met, that their needs could be met in the general education setting, and by using alternative supports, including paraeducators, teachers, and co-teaching to meet those needs in that gen ed setting with the general curriculum rather than pulling them out and separating them from that curriculum to move forward.
1: Hmm.
2: Well, Franklin, I'm really enjoying
0: hearing how much you know about special education and what you've done uh, to address some of the exhaustion from beating that drum to be true to your why. But we're going to continue this conversation in just a sec. We're going to pause here for a message from our sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder is an evidence based RTI tier one universal level solution and focuses on improving executive functioning and non cognitive skills. You can learn more and improve your student success at organizedbinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. Forty years of research shows that student talk leads directly to student learning, but teachers currently talk. 70 to 80 percent of class time. TeachFX is changing that with a Fitbit for teachers that measures student engagement and gives teachers automated feedback on their talk ratio, questioning technique, wait time, lesson design, and more. All from the microphone of their smart device. Get a free two-week trial by downloading the app at teachfx.com forward slash blbs. All right, and we're back with Franklin Day, my friend, and we've been talking about are we over-identifying students in special ed, and is it at odds to be supporting students versus supporting adults? Uh, Last special ed question, and then I want to transition to a few more as we round up this episode, but principals, they have good intentions, right? The listener, the ruckus maker listening right now has great intentions, but she might not have a really great understanding of special ed laws and regulations. However, violating those can, you know, man, that that's a violation of student civil rights and could uh, lead to some uh, potential consequences she doesn't want to experience. So what what could principals do to get caught up to speed? Because there has to be a pressure just feeling like, man, there's so much to know. It's so nuanced. But how do, I, how do I get my finger on the
2: pulse of what's going on? I always like to remind my principals that I work with that ultimately the principal is the person who's responsible for the implementation of each student's IEP, at least in the United States. And principals have a lot of weight on their shoulders when it comes to special education. They have to know, and I, I don't want to say that they have to know the law, they have to know if the IEP is being implemented, how it's being implemented, and they really have to ensure that the student's needs are being met and the student is making progress. They should, in all circumstances, be delegating that responsibility to teachers, but they also should be seeking out guidance from experts in special education to just wrap around and to ask, if if this is happening, what should I be doing? Because there are circumstances, and I see them occasionally, where a student's, a student's civil rights are being violated, where a principal makes a decision that changes an IEP fundamentally, either by implementing something that's different, that's not written into that student's plan, or by taking something away that was written in that student's plan. Last week, I had a parent email our superintendent and the superintendent of the public schools in the state of Washington, because he misunderstood a conversation with a principal, where the principal, he understood the principal to say, we're taking away this service, which this service in this case was a paraeducator. And the principal didn't have the intent of taking a service away from the student, but the parents, the conversation with the parent made it appear to the parent that that was the case. That would fundamentally violate the student's IEP and ultimately could be a violation of the student's civil rights. If that principal had reached out to and, and had a conversation with a special education director or somebody who had some, some deeper background in special education, we could have given her some conversation points and some language that would have been more understandable for the parent. It, not gonna say that the parent wouldn't be upset, but They could have had a different conversation with the parent so that that nuance came through because ultimately it wasn't an issue of removing a service from the student. It was transitioning to that service being provided in a different way that met the student's needs better, but the parent didn't understand that because all they heard was, you're taking away my student's paraeducator. And the other circumstance where it comes up frequently is a student with behavioral difficulties. And we... We want to keep all students safe, and we want to meet those every student's needs as much as possible. There are times where we need to utilize some kind of break from us for a student so that we can put a plan in place to support that student in the long term and if if suspension is being used to create that break, that student has a right to continue to receive instruction during that time while we're planning and we also don't want to don't want to utilize suspension and I'm just going to be biased and say we don't want to utilize suspension unless it's absolutely necessary but we also don't want to overutilize suspension or expulsion which is a violation of IDEA and it does it always negatively impacts a student's instruction because they don't have access to quality teaching when they're suspended or expelled Thanks. Uh,
0: that was a tough one. So, <laughs> Well, I mentioned uh, earlier that we've known each other for about a year. You've been a, a wonderful, generous member in the mastermind. I'm curious if you could share with the listener, why did you
2: join and why do you continue to show up? So I joined the mastermind because I was looking for the opportunity or the I felt a need to grow in my leadership. And I wasn't Finding any other resource in my community for growth in leadership that had at least some focus on education. And I needed personally, I needed a place where I could be safe and have conversations about the challenges that were existing in my role, where I wasn't going to a supervisor and I wasn't gossiping with my colleagues, or at least my peers. And I needed a place where I could, could, and I don't want to say spew because it isn't a, a place to spew, but it was, a, I, did, I needed a place where I could share information and get feedback to grow personally and to grow professionally. And why do I, st- why do I keep coming back? It is such an amazing group that gives me truly on a weekly basis. I learn something every week and I grow from those conversations, whether it is a conversation about a staff member or responding to requests within the community or a a different perspective on how to support teachers in a building. Every week I learn something new that I would never have the opportunity to do without that mastermind access. Mm, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and you
0: you mentioned some examples there you know, generally in terms like how you might respond to somebody within the community or whatever, has there been a recent uh, session that we've had that really resonated with you? Like, wow, I didn't even know that existed or uh, I can't believe so-and-so is thinking about leadership that way that it just, for whatever reason, you know, it it resonated with you.
2: Well, and actually the, the most recent, there was a conversation recently about a professional coach that it just made me truly reflect on what that opportunity for growth would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and this actually happened in, in, in Voxer on the side, of, but it was all mastermind members having the conversation and it just made me, it made me realize it actually, maybe not, not realize it made me reflect personally on what that would look like if it was me mm. and how I would be responding. And the the member in question was truly struggling with the conversation or the, the concept, I should say, not the conversation. And I have spent several hours personally reflecting to think about how I would actually respond if that was offered for me. Because what I see in our system is we don't, there's not a lot of opportunities for growth for leaders in a public school system. Mm. There's not a lot of mentoring, instruction, growth opportunities that exist without seeking them out on your own. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, people that are familiar with the story, that's why this all exists. You know, I felt that as an aspiring, growing leader. uh, So I started the show and then I joined a mastermind myself in 2016 with my mentor, Aaron Walker. I've been in there for three, four years at this point. And uh, Experiences so much personal growth that I looked at our industry. I said, Who is doing that who 's doing that for us you know and so i 'm glad to hear that that you have gotten some value from it and I think it 's quite powerful you didn 't know I was going to ask that question, and uh, I had no idea that it would go to hey well, it was a conversation that we actually had outside the mastermind, but with mastermind members you know about this situation. And I, I'm blown away that you said you reflected on it for hours, <laughs> how you would approach. But that it, it doesn't surprise me. I know how much of a deep thinker you are, right? But the fact that this situation, somebody else is experiencing, you putting your own perspective, putting yourself in their shoes and how, how it might uh, impact you, that, that's pretty amazing. So I just want to say thanks for, for sharing that. Hmm. I don't know. I wanna, I, I wanna bring the listener with us because I want them to get more value from that conversation. But I don't know if we could uh, pull that off. Or, I, don't, or, I don't want to
2: violate uh, the confidence. Of yeah, yeah. That's the mastermind. As yeah, well, so.
0: yeah. That's a big part of what we do. So, okay, cool. Um, well, let's end with the uh, last two questions. Everyone's very, very familiar with. You know, if we put a message on a school marquee, not we, you. If you put a message, because <laughs> you know we might not. Come up with the same message. That's okay. But you put a message on school marquee across the globe for just one day. What would that message read, Franklin?
2: That message would be meet everyone's needs. Mm. Because if we meet everyone's needs, the world will be a much better place. And imagine the growth we could make just meeting everyone's needs for one day, whether that is a need for food, a need for understanding of division, or the social skills that it takes to be a member of society. That growth would be outstanding. Yeah, meet everybody's needs.
0: And then you knew this question was coming up. It's the big one.
2: You're building a school
0: from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would Franklin build his dream school and what would be your top three
2: priorities? Well, my dream school, and and this is a question because... I listened to the podcast for for a while and uh, I knew it was coming. And so I've been thinking about it for probably three months at this point. Oh, man. So we are actually in the process of building new middle schools in our system also. And so one of the things that we would have would be flexible instructional areas, intentional commons areas that support instruction. And one of the things that I have heard recently was this concept of having a central corridor in a building that is actually also your library. Hmm. So we don't really have a lot of problem with students stealing books, but imagine if we did. Hmm. That we have seamless technology integration, abundance of natural light everywhere, if possible, small class sizes, and then those three priorities would really be a focus on students' strengths and interests Social emotional preparedness so that students are actually ready to enter the world and preparing students for their future, whatever that is, whether that's work, whether that's college, whether that's a vocation, but preparing them so that they walk out of that building and they are ready to be an adult, both socially and they have the learning skills that they can learn to, they can learn on the job or they can go on and continue to learn in college but they are really ready for that future. That's a well thought out answer. I could tell that you spent some time on it. And Franklin,
0: thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we've talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker
2: to remember? Be persistent and make sure that your message is out there and keep banging that drum, no matter how hard it gets. Thanks again for being on the show, Franklin. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.